This is your host, Terry Noland, and this is your community. Come on in, grab a seat, and strap in. This week, we are bringing you part two of a two-part series where we have special guest Nancy Hennessy. Now, Nancy has spent a career and a lifetime focused on literacy. Make sure that you go back and listen to part one if you haven't, so that way you get the complete picture of what Nancy is talking about when she's bringing knowledge around sentences and comprehension. Go catch it if you didn't, or if you've already listened to that one, let's go ahead and jump right in to part two. And that brings me, Nancy, to my next question, actually. Mm -hmm. What do educators need to know? Because somebody that's like kind of new on this journey might be listening to this and thinking, oh my goodness. Oh, I know. (laughs) There's no way, right? So what do educators need to know and understand about sentence comprehension to support student learning in general. Yeah. Students who speak other language, that English language variation. Yeah. So I think I think one of the things that we always come back to is what, what are the knowledge and skills that we need as educators in order to design and deliver effective instruction? So the question then um, arises, what, what do we know about syntax? What do we know about grammar? And if we don't know about it, how can we access them resources that allow for us to have a better understanding of how sentences are constructed and how they convey meaning? And I'm very much about, yes, we need to understand form, but not unlike others in the field, I think that function in terms of comprehension, whether it's for reading or writing is far more important. And oftentimes we look at sentence comprehension, AKA sometimes grammar, (laughs) right? From a mechanical or a form perspective. And we really need to be looking at this from a function perspective. So what do I mean by that? Well, one of the questions I often ask educators to consider when I'm working with them in this particular area is, let's start by thinking about how we build sentences. We begin with parts of speech. And when we teach our students about word meaning, by the way, we do teach them the part of speech. Why is that? Because the part of speech conveys meaning. So here's the question, All right? What question does a noun answer? Who or what? What question does a pronoun answer? Who, what, whose? What question does a verb answer? Usually is or was doing happening. We also have, you know, verbs, the to be verbs, but we more often than not are talking about the happening verbs here. What question does an adjective answer? Which one, what kind, how many? An adverb how, when, where, and why. And we can go a little bit further and then work with phrases and clauses, which also answer those questions. So stepping back, one of the things I think that we as educators need to know about is how we construct these sentences and how each of these different parts of a sentence, whether we begin with parts of speech, well, we do begin there, and then move to phrases and clauses, how they are used to convey meaning. And even simple compound complex sentences convey different logical kinds of relationships. That's not within most of our backgrounds. Some of us, when we went to school, we learned grammar, but we learned it from a very 
mechanical perspective, right? But most of our educators do not have this background knowledge. So this is something that we need to be thinking about, including in teacher preparation and professional development and providing resources for them that they can begin to hone their skills. And there are a number of resources out there that they can act. That's number one, right? So increasing their knowledge base, you know, how do sentences actually work and how do they contribute to meaning? And then recognizing that and I think they probably already do, recognizing that most of the curricula that we have around reading comprehension doesn't explicitly address sentence comprehension. And certainly speech and language pathologists are well aware of this, and they can become a resource for our educators. All right, so that's the first part of your question. Yes? All right. That's Um, exactly it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Going to the second part when we're talking about that other languages, English language variation. Yeah. So then the the second part of this question is we need to be thinking about the language that our student brings to school. All right. And so many of our students are bringing language variations, including African-American English, or we have English learners. And so one of the things that that we need to do is, first of all, respect that, respect the language that they are growing up in. Right. But also recognize that there may be differences. And these differences can be based in any one of the language systems, syntax being one of them. And so when we begin to think about the African, about African American English, for instance, you know, we need to recognize that there may be some differences in terms of subject verb agreement. There may be that habitual use of uh, the verb be. There, there are a number of things that we just need to bring to mind and be ready to help our students translate from African-American English into the standard English, the academic language that we're finding in texts, while respecting what it is that they speak at home or with their friends and so on. So teaching them about the differences. The same thing is true for the English learner. One of the things that we find in Spanish, for instance, is that the subject is sometimes dropped. So we have to recognize that, whereas in English, the subject is required for the most part. We also know that in Spanish, you know, there are different, both in English and Spanish, we have both present and past tense, but past tense in Spanish has six different forms. And, And use of adjectives, for instance, our adjectives in English very often come before the noun, all right? In Spanish, they come after the noun. So again, it's recognizing and respecting Um, the language that our students are bringing to school, and then being ready to address those differences, to explicitly teach them about the differences so that they're not overwhelmed by the transitions that they have to make, this code switching that they have to make as they listen or as they read the text. The other thing we've not talked about that I want teachers to be very aware of is the fact that there are sentences that we find in in texts that can be very complex in nature. One of the things that's important for teachers to recognize is that oral language is different than written language, right? So we speak in conversational language each day, but when we move into, for all learners, when we move into written language, whether again, reading by eye or ear, we have to be aware of the fact that our texts, even early on, children's literature, are written in something called academic language. That means that we use more precise vocabularies, but vocabulary words, often those words are based in um, Latin, for instance, rather than the Anglo-Saxon layer of the language, perhaps even Greek, if we're reading scientific text or mathematical text. 
We have to recognize that complex sentence structures are used. So it's not all about just a simple sentence and there are very discourse structures. So again, I'm going to reference Cheryl Scott and Cheryl Scott has told us that there are certain constructions that are problematic for our readers. So we can think about the fact that some of our sentences are very long, lots of ideas. We call that density of propositions. That means there's lots of idea units, all right? Some of our sentences have dependencies within them for the educator who's familiar with different types of sentences, complex sentences. There's dependency there. We have subordinate conjunctions. We can also talk about order, active versus passive order. And we can talk about these embedded clauses um, and phrases that kind of create a distance between the who and the do. So teachers have to be aware of those things and be on the lookout and I look out for them. And I just thought I'd share just a couple of sentences to illustrate that this doesn't just happen in complex text at the ninth grade level, all right? So for instance, if we have our students reading a very popular fable such as the ant and the grasshopper, all right? Here's a sentence from the ant and the grasshopper. So, when the grasshopper found itself dying of hunger, it saw the ants distributing every day corn and grain from the stores they had collected in the summer. Well, I want you to think a little bit about how many ideas are, are within that particular sentence, the density of the sentence and the cognitive load in terms of holding on to all of those ideas and how we need to be thinking about how to parse that for our students. Nancy, oh. would you mind going back and reading that sentence one more time? There, there was a little audio glitch and I just wanna make sure that everybody heard that sentence. Oh, sure. Okay. So again, um, from the ant and the grasshopper, when the grasshopper found itself dying of hunger, it saw the ants distributing every day corn and grain from the stores they had collected in the summer. So once again, thinking about the fact that there is some dependency here, it begins with the word when, right? And there's density, there's a number of different ideas and oftentimes the verbs will indicate how many idea units are contained within the sentence. So when would students be reading The Ant and the Grasshopper? Probably around second grade you know, reading or listening to it. We could take a look at another sentence it comes from National Geographic. It's called The Mystery of the Tattooed Mummy. And this might be something that they would be listening to or reading maybe third or fourth grade. So let's listen to this. As they unwrapped the bundled layers, hundreds of treasures were revealed, including gold nose rings and necklaces, sparkling crowns, and huge war clubs usually reserved for the Moche's greatest warriors. Wow, that was a mouthful. <laughs> so not only are we talking about length here, and this began with dependency as well, as they unwrapped, right? But there were embedded phrases here, including gold nose rings and necklaces, sparkling crowns and huge war clubs. You see how that creates a distance between the who and the do. All right, and I could go on, perhaps I'll just give you one more, which is perhaps around seventh grade, be listening for a relative clause. Okay. The founding fathers are a group of men who were key figures in initiating America's independence from Britain and establishing American government and early international relations. So there's a very long relative clause here. I mean, there's a very simple idea conveyed 
The founding fathers are a group of men, but a very long clause that describes who they were. And that comes from the founding of American democracy, probably around seventh or eighth grade common lit. So a few things that I wanted to convey here in terms of what teachers need to know and understand. They need a basic understanding of really how sentences are constructed, a recognition that their curriculum is not going to address this, that there are multiple resources out there, including their speech and language pathologists, that we need to be aware of language variants and how language is different, but also respect and teach difference. And then that complex sentences, academic language, and that's what we're trying to develop in our students, that's going to be found in text early on, all the way up through the grades. And the sentences that we find within, within these academic texts are complex and they can be problematic. And we're going to have to work with our students in order to help them parse out the meanings. That was rather long, and I'm sorry I took so long to explain that, but. No, that was wonderful. Once again, and, and Nancy, I always say in my journey in education, I'm always learning, I'm always growing. I just learned right here. I'm gonna tell you, and so many things coming up in my mind, and one of them, I'm gonna pull out two different things that came up for me. First thing, especially even about the, the differences between like English and Spanish and where the placement of, of different types of words are in a sentence and then how that carries through even into a student's writing. You mentioned writing and, and that connection between that oral language development and that writing is just, it's just a critical thing for educators to understand, right? Yeah, so very important that we make these connections to reading and writing. And in fact, one of the general um, instructional recommendations that comes from the field is to be thinking about this integration of reading and writing. So many of our, our processes and skills that we use for writing as well as reading comprehension are the same. Now there are some differences as well. One certainly supports the other. So very critical at this particular level that we identify those differences and work with our students and make the connections between the two, between reading and writing. So that would be important for the African-American student who speaks in that particular dialect. You think, thinking about how they drop the auxiliary verb, for instance, you know, thinking about that consistent use of be, thinking about the subject predicate agreement and so on. And yes, in Spanish, thinking about that placement and the differences in the construction of the sentence. Yeah. Wow, that's really rich there. The second thing that I've that I pulled out, and mainly because at, at Learning Out Loud, of course, we uh, provide human read audiobooks as one of our solutions. Yeah. And I always yeah. like to stay connected to what the literature is that students are reading. So I recently listened to the book I Am Malala. It's about that that young girl that was shot by the Taliban. And this is an anchor text in many fifth grade curriculums, right? Mm -hmm. So taught as a class read in that English language class. And I'm going to tell you as an adult who I, I don't struggle with reading, I can read, but that book had so many uh, region specific words around Afghanistan and the names and the richness of the culture coming through I mean, and that's fifth grade, right? Yeah. I mean, that's really intense, just kind of like you described with some of these passages you read. Yes, absolutely. So I think we need to keep this in mind that one of the things that we're trying to do for our students is yes, 
while we develop word recognition skills and we use decodable text, for instance, and that can be foundational for reading comprehension. We always wanna be certain our students are making meaning of what they're reading. The reality is in order for them to work with the text that they're going to encounter as they move across the grades, we have to be developing this academic language. And it certainly does include vocabulary and background knowledge. That text would be very specific to background knowledge. But at the same time, you know, the sentence itself, the way in which we use these words within sentences to convey meaning connects. So I'm all about using age and grade appropriate texts. Again, giving access. I often think about the students that I worked with way back in the past. I was a special education teacher. I did work in middle school as a resource room teacher, and I wasn't as aware as I needed to be at that point in time about how important it was to provide age and grade appropriate texts. And that knowledge, and this is what happens for all of us as educators, because learning is our work. We continue to grow on our knowledge of how important it is that we're giving them access to. And Nancy, I know you said you're such an advocate of the digital access, right? Even the audio versions. Absolutely. You know, it's lovely if we can read aloud to our students. I mean, that's wonderful. And certainly um, with our younger students read alouds, we frequently use them and we can use them, uh, you know, throughout the grades. But the reality is our students need to read independently as well. And if in fact they haven't yet acquired the word recognition skills, whether they have a learning issue or not, if they're an at-risk reader, we need to give them access because they'll just fall further and further behind in terms of all of these levels of language. Not only the syntax um, and sentence comprehension, but vocabulary, background knowledge, knowledge of text structures, because these text structures change over time. And there's lots of nuance between, let's say, a narrative such as I am Malala, all right, and fable, you know, so it's very, very important that they have access. I'm, I, I can't stress that enough. Yeah. You know, I always say, you know, let's don't create word famines for our students. Let's create yeah. word yeah, I, love it. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Nancy, I've got one more question for you. What are some examples of common instructional strategies and activities for developing this sentence comprehension? Yeah, so, so I, I tend to think about this from, from two different perspectives, one being intentional on purpose, uh, direct explicit instruction, and then what I call um, incidental on purpose, indirect instruction. And uh, this really begins by, I think, recognizing that we need to build oral language. And while our everyday oral language tends to be conversational, in the classroom, we need to be cognizant of using more academic language so that when our students transition into these texts that are more demanding, that they have some of that base to make that transition and then we need to directly explicitly teach them about the written language itself. The other thing that I think about in general, so this is, in, I think about that what you brought up earlier is this integration of reading and writing. So the importance of integrating reading and writing activities so that our students see the connection between the two. And then I think about the fact that as we work with sentence comprehension, this needs to be embedded within the curriculum. So I'm not about teaching isolated skills. I'm about teaching these skills, developing these abilities 
within the context of their curriculum. And certainly here we're talking for the most part about the English language arts classroom, the reading classrooms, but we can do this across curriculum as well. So it's important to make that, that point. It's, we have lots of opportunities for it developing. Now, to be a little bit more specific in the blueprint that I've developed for reading comprehension, um, I target sentence comprehension as an area that we should be thinking about as we prepare our texts, as we work with, whether, again, whether the student's listening to the text or reading by, by eye, eye or ear. So we should prepare our text and be thinking about which sentence, sentences are going to be difficult for our students, right? How might we directly address, directly teach them how to work with the phrases, the clauses, the sentence types that they're coming across, all right? What would that look like in the classroom? And then also thinking about how can we provide some of these incidental on purpose experiences for our students? And then lastly, something we haven't touched upon much, but is important is the sentence doesn't stand by itself. Remember I said, uh, it's the worker bee, one by one they add up. Well, the sentences are related to one another. So we have to be thinking about how do we teach them about how sentences are integrated? What, what, what is it that the author does to allow us to integrate these ideas within and between sentences? So when I've thought about this and when I work with teachers, I talk about, first of all, we can begin intentionally. So I'll just focus on that for now. We can begin intentionally by thinking about the grammar of the sentences. We can think about some activities that engage them in deconstructing sentences at what? At the parts of speech, at the phrase, at the clause level, but doing that with a focus on meaning, not for just identification, not just for form, but for function. So an example might be, well, an example to begin with would be those questions I asked earlier, you know, you know what, what question does a noun answer or what part of speech answers this question or what? But moving on from that, that's prerequisite knowledge for the activities I'm going to describe now. Moving on from that would be, suppose we took some words from a particular um, a passage that we were reading, right? The founding of American democracy, for instance, and I use that word compromise, revolutionary might be another word from there, delegates might be another word and so on. And we put those words on cards, right? And we model for our students how to go about thinking about the function of each of those words. And so we could use structured questions. So questioning is always important. So can you find a word that, and we could provide them with a chart and they could do a sort. So can you find a word that answers the question who or what? Can you find a word that answers the question is or was doing or happening and so on. So working with um, words directly from the text itself, seeing how words work, all right. And then you could even move to how words work together. You could pull phrases. So deconstructing and then, of course, always putting this back together. And one way of doing that is then to move to sentence level activities. Right? And sentence level activities do integrate reading or writing, reading and writing. And so what we could do is then begin to ask our, our students to expand on sentences or to use those cards to create sentences, sentence anagrams, for instance, or to uh, begin to think about sentence combining, giving them parts of sentences, beginning with maybe, uh, can you combine based on these adjectives that describe these particular individuals within this particular passage or story, and so on. 
You also, we also can ask our students to think about what sentences mean. Remember I said earlier, and I didn't really directly address this, is that the order of sentences can be difficult for sentences act, uh, for students, active versus, versus passive, right? Well, we could ask them to illustrate a sentence to indicate if they understood when it was written in passive voice, okay? The Almanac was written by Benjamin Banneker, if you know the story, Dear Benjamin Banneker. And so we could ask our students to illustrate that. We can also be thinking a bit about even having them diagramming sentences because that's a graphic organizer. So working at the grammar level, deconstruction, understanding with the function, putting it together, perhaps through writing, through sentence combining, through visualization. And then the third area that I often talk about is the use of what I call cohesive devices activities. And I've touched on, upon this briefly. If I think about something like Benjamin Banneker was an astronomer. He wrote a letter to Je Thomas Jefferson, All right, How do I tie up the ideas between those two sentences? Who's he? Oh, he is Benjamin Banneker. And of course that's a cohesive tie. In a, it's a pronoun in which we refer to, you know, the subject of the previous sentence. So teaching our students about how we use these cohesive ties like pronouns, like substitution synonyms, and also teaching them about connectives. Here's another connection to writing. Teaching them about how words like and, and if, and but, and because carry meaning. Yes, that dependency I was talking about earlier, but also that they're carrying meaning and they tie up relationships um, between different parts of sentences. So there are many different things I think that a teacher can do intentionally within those three categories, grammar deconstruction, sentence level work, and then the work with cohesive ties. So I think- That's I, a lot of good stuff, a lot of good ideas. I'm already visualizing in my head, I gotta get some three by five note cards to work with my students. Oh, I, love, I just love that activity in which you have them do the sort and you know, Kids, kids love working with, with sorts and getting to think about the function of each of the words, but then taking the cards, all right? Of course, you have to be very specific about the cards you give them and asking them to put those words back together in a sentence. So using an anagram, in a sense, activity to get them to think about how the words go together. And you know what? Sometimes they come up with different combinations and even that conversation is important. So I've seen teachers use all of these activities in different ways, sometimes before, sometimes after instruction, but more often before, sometimes as a warm-up to the listening or to the actual reading of the text and so on. That's teacher decision-making. Yeah. And you've also given me another beautiful image in my head. My boys loved Legos. And I mean, I'm just thinking about them putting Lego, and I've even used Legos as a part of instruction, that manipulative for students. And like, you know, the word, you bring the words and you build the pieces and the parts, and then it turns into this structure. And then at the end, you have this beautiful, beautiful piece that, you know, when you talked about the interrelatedness between sentences and how they build on each other and mm -hmm. paragraphs and paragraphs go to chapters and chapters go to, you know, yeah. books. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I actually have a graphic within, with, within, you know, the blueprint that talks about just that, that, that building of meaning, beginning with words, all right, and moving to phrases and moving to clauses and moving to sentences and moving then to text structures. 
and certainly that relationship between each and each supporting the other, you know, in building meaning. Yeah. And I, I, I think Legos is a wonderful example. You, you've may also made me think a little bit about Suzanne Carricker's approach to teaching parts of speech <laughs> and using yeah. colors, right? And one can attach manipulatives to that as well. So important, I think, for teachers to uh, a little bit at a time, yeah, because this can be a little overwhelming and a comprehension is complex. But thinking about different resources they can tap into, there are some wonderful ones out there, and we certainly could provide some additional ones for them as they begin their journey, or maybe they're already on the journey and they want to go a little bit further with their knowledge of sentence comprehension, usually very overlooked in in comprehension instruction. I agree. Well, Nancy, let me tell you what, you have dropped some knowledge today, that's for sure. You shared great ideas, great imagery that's popping up in my head, and I can't thank you enough for for bringing your experience, you know, your, your experience that comes with your lifelong legacy of serving in the education space and, and serving students. So thank you so much for being with us today. Very grateful for the opportunity. And very grateful for all the work that all of our educators are doing every day to ensure that our students learn how to read. I really believe that they have the right to learn how to read, and that means with meaning, and and that we have a responsibility to support them all along the way. I concur. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thanks so much for being with us on this two-part series of our podcast. Thank you for going on the journey today. Thank you for being present. Thank you for continuing to grow and learn. If we are gonna make an impact on education, create significance in the lives of our students, we need you. If you wanna learn more about Learning Ally, visit us at learningally.org and be a part of a transformational community.